0: Take 2. It's Kandesha's okay. Beatles Revolution. One, two, three, four. to the fall. On the, the- iHeartRadio.
1: Beatles Revolution number 33. My favorite thing about talking about the Beatles isn't just talking about how much the music means to me or dissecting it or thinking about what happened historically but it's talking to brilliant musicians who experience for themselves and they explain it much more better than I ever could in the studio with me a dear friend for many many years and somebody with what 11 platinum hits from the Guess Who to Bachman Turner overdrive my friend Mr. Randy Bachman BTO Guess Hello. Who How are you nice to angelica you got there
0: Good to be one of your youngest friends.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, we just go back a ways. Yeah. Randy has this I Love Lucy life of the greatest stories that happen to every song. Other people have sat around. No, there's there's a sitcom attached to almost every song that the man has. Still the greatest stories ever. And the reason he's here is he's playing B.B. Kings this Saturday night. Uh, You're going to hear the hits always. Randy always is going to play BTO. And guess who? Yeah. But a new album coming out called By George by Bachman. Because if you've heard him before in Breath of the Beatles, you know Randy's one of the biggest Beatle geeks in the world. And what made you decide to do an album of George Harrison songs?
0: Well, when the Beatles came out, it changed everything for every band. You had a front guy in Elvis or Gene Vincent or Eddie Cochran and backup musicians. And suddenly on that Sunday night, we're watching Ed Sullivan and there's three guys standing up there singing. Right? Right. And it was, like, totally different what these three guys can sing, what they write their own songs. They don't get them from the Brill Building, whatever. They write their own songs, and they're like, aren't these kind of childish? Love, love me do. You know I'll be true. I'll always love you, please. And everybody in every country and every world could sing these songs. And uh, I I got to sing the George song. So these songs that are on this album by George, I've sung them all my life. I just took them and reinvented them to present them to celebrate basically George's 75th birthday. And I'd been in London three years ago for John Lennon's 75th. It was amazing to go to Liverpool, stay in the Hard Day's Night Hotel, sleep in the John and Yoko suite in the bed, greatest bed in the world, the Hard Day's Night bed, and go to the Casbah and the Cavern and the Strawberry Fields and see Eleanor Rigby's grave. It was a really great thing for a Beatles fan.
1: Randy and I have had many discussions through the years about how much we love the Beatles, his new album by George, by Bachman. But there's such a deep connection, even his biggest hit, Taking Care of Business, really began life as trying to write a Beatles song. Tell the TCB story, please. Well, I wrote it to be like paperback writer. It's the day in the life of a guy.
0: So no matter what you read, my book, he gets up every morning from the alarm clock, and it's about New York, takes the 8.15 to the city. Is it really? That was was written about Stanley Goldberg who was Florence Goldberg's son, who was the engineer at Scepter Records when All Over was on Scepter Records in the mid-60s, and we came here. Yeah. Did the Kingsman Louie Louie tour. We recorded at Scepter Studios. Our songwriting buddies were Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson. They would play hooky from high school. Get out. They were like 16 or 17. They'd come and Get play out. us songs. Yeah, Backrock and David would come in and pitch us songs. They were right out of Juilliard or Ber- Berkeley, wherever Burt backrock went. We couldn't do Burt Backrock songs. He had all these little 2-4 bars. <laughs> do you know the way to San Jose? One, two, I know a great big time <laughs> One, three, I always have these two bars, and that doesn't fit when you're doing rock and roll, you know? And so I wrote TCB to be like Stanley Goldberg, who was blind. He was our engineer in four track and he was blind. I said, how do you get home? He said, I count steps and he took the train home. So I was intrigued by this and he wore a white shirt and a tweed jacket with patches on the elbows and I said, Stanley, why do you dress like this? Because everyone else is casual in the studio. He said, I want to look like George Martin. So how do you know what George Martin looks like, Stanley? You're <laughs> blind. He said, "I know what he looks like. Everybody tells me." And so he'd walk with a cane back to the train station here. And I said, "When do you come back?" He said, "I take the H15 into the city." No. And he had this white collar. So I'm trying to write a song like "Paperback right. and go, "I'm going to call this white collar worker." He gets up in the morning from the alarm clock's warning, takes the eight fifteen into the city, and all the girls are putting on their makeup. They're trying to look pretty. They're trying to get to work by on time, right? Right. So I write this whole thing up, but in the middle of the song, I went. White collar worker, just like paperback writer. And so I play the song for Burton Cummings, and he gags. (laughs) He actually said gag me with a drumstick. Oh, my God. And from that point on, nobody in the band would do that song because the breakdown in the middle was just like paperback writer. Right. And so you fast forward about five years. I've left the Guess Who? I'm with BTO. I'm traveling to a gig. A DJ on the radio says, this is Daryl B on C-Fun Radio. We're taking care of business. And he plays good vibrations or something and I go that's a great title for a song and I write it down on my songwriting kit which everyone has in their car a McDonald's napkin and a smash crayon <laughs> I write down taking care of business and when I get to the gig that night Fred Turner says I can't sing anymore like what? we were doing five 50s a night in and, a club six nights right. a week and rock and roll do right. it's the last set Saturday night he can't sing he says you gotta sing I'm not a singer I did all the high you Brian the Wilson harmonies. parts, the McCartney did the yeah. harmonies, the McCartney part. I sang the high part in no time and all that stuff with a guy like Burton Cummings or Fred Turner. Why do I need to sing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have to sing this night. And I thought, this is my chance for white collar worker because the band has passed on it three or four times, right? But I'm gonna take out that white collar worker part and put in this new phrase I've just written down, taking care of business. And I can't put all the chords in it, because white collar worker had about 12 chords. <laughs> and so I, think, I have to think of three chords. So it's either the Louie Louie. You know, the one right. four five, or it's something else. I think of a one seven four kind of thing, and which is just repetition kind of chords. So, right on stage, I turn around to the band, say, Follow me. I'm playing three three chords C, B flat, and F over and, over and over. When I get to the bridge, the hook, sing it with me. And they go, What? And I start, dun, 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 and I sing the song. The crowd goes nuts. Uh, two weeks later, I write out the lyrics, give it to Fred. We're recording in Seattle. He says, I don't want to sing this song. You sing it and give me a break because I can't scream all night long with this. Yeah. Dump truck voice. Harley Davidson voice <laughs> kind of thing. So I sang that in one take. And, With- yeah, and it speeds up and slows down. You don't know the whole story of this? No, So the song was born live on stage. Live on stage. And when I we stopped playing it, it the crowd could tell we, we were making this up because there's a certain energy that happens on stage. Like when I wrote American Woman on stage, the riff just got everybody going. And you could see guys groping. And the minute Burton Cummings would yell at American Woman, stay away from me, everybody could see that it came from... Pl- the, just, the angel, yeah. right? The song angel who sent you <laughs> these things. And they could feel that the song angel was sending me this this seamless transition of love to work at nothing all day. And we've been taking care of business. That that whole thing. And so the crowd could sense that. So when we would end the song, they would keep it going. And they would all sing, taking care of and clapping. So when we recorded it, we recorded it the same That's way.
1: That's why that break comes in. Why the break is of. there.
0: And it speeds up and slows down. It was just an album cut and I didn't care. <laughs> and as we're listening to the song being played back, there's a knock at the door, this is like midnight, and there's a guy standing there, he's got an army fatigues, so army hat, big frizzy beard and frizzy hair, and he's standing there with like three pizzas. He says, you order the pizzas? And I said, no, 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 no. probably down the hall. And Steve Miller's down the hall recording Fly Like an Eagle, and <laughs> War is further on down recording Why Can't We Be Friends, that album. So we're all in this studio in Seattle, and it's a smoking hot Where studio. Where is this, in Seattle? Seattle. Okay. My heart bought it and was then renamed Bad Animals. It's still okay. their studio. And, but it was called K. Smith Studios, owned by Danny Kay and Lester Smith. Okay. Danny Kay the actor. Right. We went there at the opening. He, he, has, he brought canisius from his mother. Oh. Like he's Jewish guy, right? Here's my mother's canisius and all Kaminsky. this kind of stuff. So it was Danny Kay, who I was a real fan of. So anyways, this guy then takes the pizzas down the hall. He comes back. He knocks on the door again. And I say, yes? Pizzas <laughs> are gone. He says, you know, I'm a piano player. That song sounds like it really is a piano. And I go, look, look, it's 1 in the morning. We've been here since 11, and, you know, in the, in the, the morning. previous morning. Yeah. And we're just done this song. It's the last song on the album. And he says, I love this song. And so I tell him the story how I wrote. He says, hey, I'm a piano player. Will you give me a chance to play on this song? And I go, what? And normally when you get a piano player, you get the piano tuned. Yeah. You put in stereo U87, <laughs> Neumann mics. You know what I mean? You're covered. <laughs> I opened the lid through in the mic and said, OK, you got one shot. So this guy played the piano on one take. The recording
1: that I hear, that I play every day on the air, is the pizza delivery guy. But he said to
0: me, he said to me, what do you want the piano to be like? I said, well, you could try like Little Richard, Elton John, Dr. John, Professor Longhair, Little Richard, you know, that kind of thing. So you notice in taking care of bits. the piano changes every verse. Yes. One, it's like little shots, like Dr. Nexus, it's eighth notes. Of it's little 16 Richard. notes, like Little Richard. The next one is Elton John, Honky Chateau. And so we finish this. I don't even hear it played back. We're going home. We're asleep. It's now 2 in the morning. I'm going to play it the next morning. But the next morning, the head of our label flies in, and he wants to hear the album. He's told me to write more commercial songs because BTO1 had nothing that they could get on Top 40 radio. And he said, I know you can write Top 40 hits. You did it in the Guess Who. So give me a couple of songs. So we play him, let it ride, and he goes, phenomenal, great. And then I say to the engineer, when you're playing Taking Care of Business, don't play the piano track. We hadn't even heard it back. So we're playing the album, and as it gets to TCB, Halfway through the song, the engineer pushes up the control and in comes the piano. And Charlie Fash, who is the head of our label, Flynn, goes, what's that? BTO with the piano, that's amazing. Now I can get you on the radio. because This is early 70s and Elton John is everywhere. And every other band is two guitars, bass and drums. Us, Frampton, Doobies, Foghat, everybody's two guitars, bass and drums. Aerosmith, everybody. The piano gives us a little bit of top 40-ish kind of sound. And he says, this is phenomenal. Who's playing piano? And I said the same thing you said. <laughs> I don't know um, a, a pizza delivery guy. Are you guy. hungry?
1: Are you hungry? Because I could get him back here, I think, if you want I pizza. I had to get
0: him back. He said, you have to find out who this guy is. We can't release this record. You have to get him somewhere. Unless signed. we know who re- he is. What's his name? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. plus. I
0: said, I have no idea. Where did you get the pizza from? I said, was it wasn't my pizza. So we go down the hall to Steve Miller and the guys in war. Jerry Goldstein is producing war and say, where did you get pizza from last night? And a magical thing happens, as you know, in a recording studio. When you go home to sleep, somebody comes in and cleans it up. So the next day you come in. There's no you start pizza. start all boxes. over with Chinese food and takeout and uh, guys bringing in beer and no all this stuff. Pizza boxes. We don't know where they've got it. So I have to go to the girl at the front desk with the yellow pages for Seattle and say, Will you start in Antonio's? I'll start halfway <laughs> through at Mario's and phone these pizza places and ask if they have a delivery guy. This is like that, that looks like Fidel Castro. He had a, an <laughs> army thing, an army hat, and a big breed. And I didn't know how else to describe him. He's about six foot three or four, a big Fidel Castro looking guy. So I call around, I finally get one. And I say, do you have a guy that looks like Fidel Castro? They go, what, are you kidding? Yes, we do. I said, <laughs> what's his name? Well, we can't give employees names out over the phone. I have to find out who this guy is. Would you like to order a pizza? Yes. yes. <laughs> I'll order it. Send any pizza. Well, he doesn't start work till six. So anyways, we got him. He brought down a cheese plain pizza. He was a musician who at the end of the month delivered pizza
1: to pay his rent. Sure. Sure. That's the guy you hear on Taking Care of Business. You know, that's my favorite story that anybody's told me about rock and roll. I love doing this show. Ken Dash shows Beatles Revolution, the podcast. We dig into musicians talking about the Beatles, what they meant to them. But what it meant to the world, I just started watching this new documentary on uh, Netflix called How the Beatles Changed the World. Mm. And I started watching it. And for Beatle fans, there's a lot we know. But a friend, Anthony DeCurtis, writes for Rolling Stone, had a great point, And he said, you know... Until the Beatles, there was always teenage culture, but adults didn't dress like Elvis. You know, you didn't have an adult dressing like Eddie Cochran. The Beatles come, 30, 40, 50-year-old guys are wearing longer hair, bell-bottoms. They're wearing Nehru jackets to work. They're wearing love beads. When does an adult follow the teenager? And if you weren't wearing a bell-bottom pants by 1968, you might as well be in a nursing home. Right. If suddenly, the Beatles were running all of culture, not just teenage culture, and adults were running to catch up, and that's never happened before.
0: But they were smart. They hooked all the adults because they wore business suits and ties. That was Brian. So they went from the black leather jackets yeah. and the Elvis hair to the ha- the blown beetle cut, as we know it, the bold cut, and wearing like business suits with velvet collars. So... And I, earlier I was jamming out and they were smart on their albums. They put a song that mother would like till there was you or taste of honey, a jazz standard. And for me, I learned to play jazz from some of the Beatles stuff, not only rock and roll and pop. And then as they grew and progressed from love, love me do to Mar- marmalade skies and you know <laughs> what I mean? And yeah. uh, relax your mind and float downstream. They took everybody on this journey for seven or eight years of miraculous reinventions of music and guitar tones and songwriting
1: as we always said they fired the mop tops they create the mop tops greatest most successful band in the world nobody's ever not elvis nobody and what's it what do they do after two years we fire them boom now we get revolver and we get rubber soul how about these guys we fire that band we actually we're going to fire the beatles we're going to be sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band a whole other band Who'd, I mean, you've had two amazing bands of the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive. But every two years, he didn't say, all right, different band, different sound. You grew, but these guys made such changes in their life and style and music, the whole world had to run after them, catch right. up, and never got bored. are right. Well, you've, got, you've stolen Brian May's D'Angelico guitar. Uh, no, let me correct that. You've borrowed Dr. Brian May's D'Angelico guitar from the wall here at Q1043. Yeah.
0: Too mm-hmm. late. She's
1: gone too far, she's lost
0: the sun, she's come undone. Actually, I got stuff from Kenny Rankin for that. I took that from him, and I learned that from Dion DiMucci when I was with the guests who we did the Kingsman Louie Louie tour, Dion and the Belmonts were on that, and Dion would sit there and play the song. Who is that? Oh, it's Kenny Rankin. Wow. So that kind of worked its way until she's come undone.
1: So the beautiful jazz chords. Randy's a fan of of Lenny Bro, who is kind of his Les Paul at the time and got to know Les Paul. We've had a lot of talks about that. But where did this amazing power chord, American Woman Crunch, come from? Where does that riff come from?
0: Um, well, being a guitar player, and I find most guitar players are the same, if you've got 20 guitar players in there, we could all play a classical song. <laughs> ¶¶ which is where McCartney got Blackbird from, right? Playing that kind right. of thing. We could all play a flamenco song. Everybody can play and Then when you learn to play fingerstyle. Chet Atkins kind of stuff. Then you learn. You're doing ch- then you go. You learn every style of guitar. but So we can all do that. And then you start to go into like a different chord for every eighth note. You learn the scales and stuff like that. So we can all do that. But then somehow somebody says, oh, wait a minute. That thing you played there, that's. We like that a lot. Do more of that. So you start (laughs) doing more because all you want to do is put gas in your car and (laughs) cornflakes in the bowl for the kids, right? So you get pushed into doing a certain kind of music. And you don't really know what that is. You put out an album. In the old days, like the first BTO album, Guess Who album. There was a jazz song, a ballad, an acid rock, a blues song. You didn't know what they whatever radio picked and played, guess what? That That's became yourself. your life for the next year. And then you have to develop that and you try. We were very lucky in the Guess Who when they picked the ballad These Eyes. It's gorgeous. And said we were a rock band. And they said, No one's gonna play rock by you. Do another ballad like These Eyes. And then so we do laughing. The flip side of that, I write She's Come Undone, and we, we play it, and they, they go, we've never heard a song like this on radio. It's jazz. It's like the first time we heard Girl from Ipanema on the radio with all that stuff from the early 60s, and Ipanema comes out. It's totally a different sound, but it's very catchy. So out comes She's Come Undone, and it's a double-A side. We have a double-A-sided hit, and then we copy Neil and Steven, Buffalo Springfield, and do No Time, which is kind of a country rock thing with blazing guitars. Yeah. And then I fall into this... We'll go oh that's real real heavy heavy metal as they call it in england <laughs> yeah and it like becomes a real heavy song
1: but that was never the intended direction of the band we're not going to be a heavy... well we
0: always wanted to be a rock band like we said to the guys at RC, we don't want to do another ballad we do not want to be gary puckett in the union gap <laughs> we're a prairie rock band and he said nobody's going to play your rock you can get to there and we did in like four or five records we got to american woman and that album had some real heavy tracks on it
1: but here we are, 2018, I'm still playing American Woman. Yeah. You know, I love the others, but the one that that goes across all demographics, all ages, whatever, the, that riff, you know, that ident, that just we, what you play. Play yeah. it one more time if you don't mind. Just play <laughs>
0: Cable guy, when um, Jim Carrey and that other guy come in and they go, Randy Bachman, and they actually do that thing.
1: Yeah, but it's brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, you still you see the audience when you play it on stage, right? It's still you still feel the pull. That that line
0: is so. Crazy for a, a guitar line in a fast song like that. Like it's half time and half time cut way, way back. But I grew up playing violin, I love viola, so I'm basically playing a violin line. Wow. And let's face it, I stole a lot from I Feel Free and that the yeah. you know Eric was like my idol back then.
1: Eric was your guy.
0: Yeah, when he was playing Gibson Les Paul and just hit you in the face with a shovel, like with the cream riffs on the guitar. It was just amazing.
1: Randy is here because he's playing B.B. Kings this Saturday night. Don't miss the show. And poor guy, what what I do to my friends, he's going to be up early Sunday morning and be part of Breakfast with the Beatles with me and the Disciples of Soul and Mark Rivera. And we're going to jam out. We're going to hear some music from the new album by George, by Randy. He has completely deconstructed these songs and made them his own. And it doesn't sound like George Harrison. It doesn't sound like the Beatles. It sounds like something you've never heard before, and I think that's so cool that Olivia Harrison and Danny Until the
0: vocal starts, then you can sing along because you know every word. Right,
1: but you don't know it until the vocals come in. He's done soft jazz. A tax man is just hard driving blues. That is as hard a driving blues song as anybody's come up with, and a song you wrote on it called Two Mountains. Between Two Mountains. So the thing is that we've always talked about is, you know, you're you're this you're the singer songwriter player in a band with the two greatest singer songwriter players in the world and we always said george martin's maybe his greatest contribution to the beatles in addition to arranging was pushing these two guys apart for 5 minutes to get george a song because it's not like one day ever john or paul walked in and said I got nothing uh, right. you know, every
0: day. I got 30 songs. When you got 30, let's collaborate and collude. Yeah. And when we get really bored, hey, Georgie, you got anything? Well, I have a thing called tax, man. I have a thing called something. Yeah, okay. You know?
1: And so it's hard. I, what I've always said, uh, there's a baseball player, Bob Musel. Did any, anybody ever hear Bob Musil? You heard of Stan Musel, but you never heard of Bob Musel. He was a Yankee. He he was one of the greatest ball players of his era. In a dead ball, year, drove in like 60, 70 runs a, a, a year hit, like, 30 home runs, hit, like, 340 for average, and you don't know his name because he's the guy who got up after Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. So you just don't know Bob. Right. And that George Harrison was the greatest songwriter, player, singer in any band right. that wasn't named the Beatles. Right, <laughs> yeah. You were always pulled to George, though, as
0: the... I got to do the George songs. Burton Cummings and Chad Allen sang the
1: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Lennon McCartney songs. And then Burton went on to sing, you know, the other... Paul McCartney. He sang them both because he has a... Burton has a soft Irish tenor We can do McCartney. He can also do the Eric Burton growl and he would do the Lennon songs. And I got to do the George Harrison song. So these songs I've been singing like decades. As long as they've been out, I've been singing Don't Bother Me and all his other songs. And so when I decided to do a George Harrison tribute album by George, by Bachman... Uh, for his 75th birthday, which is this weekend, uh, Sunday, 25th.
1: By the way, for you guitar heads, Mr. Bachman, at your peak of your collection, how many guitars did you own?
0: I've always said if you know how many guitars you have in your collection, you don't have enough. <laughs> There's always a couple coming on UPS or FedEx that you buy on the road.
1: How many did you have?
0: Well, I sold 385 Gretsch's to Fred Gretsch, which which (laughs) created the Gretsch Museum. (laughs) Then I started to buy German archtops, like Hoyers and Hoffners and things like that, and I have about 200 of those. There'll be a book of those coming out, because they're very rare. They're only made for about eight or nine years after the war in the 50s, and then Gibson took over the market, and the archtop guitar became like a Gibson commodity became their cornflakes but these german ones were made by the father and the grandfather and the sons all carving away wood (laughs) handmade at a time and they're absolutely beautiful
1: i saw producer andrew's face when you said you gave 385 guitars to Gretsch to create their museum was that well, what you- Fred
0: Gretsch called me. He said, there's a Hoffner Museum. There's a there's a Gibson Museum. There's a Rickenbacker Fender. You've got my museum. Can I buy it? So he came to my house. It was a room like this with, like, 150 guitars on the wall and a bunch on stands. I had a white wall of two dozen white falcons and white penguins, an orange wall, 6120s, a sparkle wall with all the sparkle jets. I had everything. I have this on film. And in, in my place on Salt Spring Island, in comes a... Hundred foot long or Truck. eighty foot long semi trailer, which can't even fit in my yard. It's so long. <laughs> so we park it on the road. and We have to get a little shuttle, like a electric cart. And I took out each Gretsch at a time and sh- held it up and played it and played mm-hmm. a quarter to on it. It's all filmed. Then it went in and went to the Fred Gretsch Museum, in Atlanta, Georgia. It was very nice when that museum opened. I got to play there with the band, which was a couple of the Almond Brother guys and Vinnie Kaluda on drums and Bo Diddley came. Wow. And God bless Bo. I gave him the poster from the Seattle Pop Festival, which I was on with the Guess Who? And he said, i got to take this to my my grandchildren. <laughs> I played with Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I played with Chuck Berry. I mean, they were on the same show. And amazingly enough, I took the same poster to LA, to um, London, gave it to Plant and Page, because they wanted to show their kids. They played with Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry, right? How perfect and, is and that? And Fly. So there's like two generations apart, wanting to show their kids that they played played with the the on the same show, yeah.
1: Speaking, this is for guitar heads as well. We were talking about it, about Led Zeppelin. Um, There's a band, the Contours, they had a great dance song. Do you love me? It's in the movies and stuff. But you would never think of them as, wow, what guitar players. Just a great dance song. Now, the guitarists in that band, the three guitarists, talk about those three guitars that you mentioned. Who has them?
0: Oh, and my? um, Yeah, in the
1: Contours. You said, so Paige got one,
0: It was in Nanaimo, BC, which is a little town on Vancouver Island, which is where Diana crawls from. (laughs) And um, this band, I don't know what they're called, they weren't the Contours, but they were called the something, the Cruisers or the Corsairs or something. And they went to a music store, they didn't sell guitars, they sold reeds and stuff for the high school bands, the marching bands, and they ordered three guitars. This is in 1960, so the guitars are 59 guitars. They get three Les Paul guitars. I've got a picture of these guys. They sent it to me. Three of them on Les Paul guitars, a drummer and a sax player. A year and a half later, they break up. They're playing Nanaimo. How far can you go in Nanaimo? One of them with his Les Paul goes to UCLA in LA, pawns it. Joe Walsh buys it, plays it for a while, takes it, sells it to Jimmy Page. The other guy leaves Nanaimo, goes to the London School of Economics in London, can't make it in a band, pawns it on Denmark Street. It gets bought by Keith Richards and, and then given to Mick Taylor, who plays on Honky Tonk Women. The other one, the guy comes to my gig and hands me his 59 Les Paul with the Bigsby Beyond and trades me that for some money and a uh, <laughs> Mose Wright, Joe Maphis, Moserite guitar, like a Ventures guitar, for like $72 or something like that. <laughs> and that became the American Woman guitar. And the other one became the... Whole lot of love, Zeppelin guitar, and the other one became the Satisfaction, the Rolling Stones honky tonk woman. Yeah, they are so just... trying to pull this together <laughs> as a story, yeah. and find a guy like Andy Babiuk to do the the serial numbers and show these three guitars now, show what they played on, and show the picture of this band from Nanaimo, B.C. That this and the guy still is there. I'm playing there in about a couple of weeks on this tour. He's the manager of the Dairy Queen
1: in Nanaimo. <laughs> She's going to come to the gig. This These three guitars that didn't do much for a band wound up creating the sound of classic rock for yeah. all intents and purposes for all of the 70s.
0: It's the greatest guitar story going <laughs> to have those three out of that little place to go to these three iconic bands that played on these iconic songs.
1: It's remarkable. You know, we talk about when you said the, the Rickenbacker, the gear that the Beatles had. Our friend Billy J. Kramer, you're going to meet him. Randy is going to be at the Fest for Beatle fans this year as well. He's going to be there Sunday. We're going to do the musicians for him. We're going to do this interview, and he'll play. But like Billy J. Kramer always said, he got interviewed about gear. Why did Paul get the Hoffner? He said, we had one music store, right? and the cheapest bass was the Hoffner. The expensive instruments were gold, and they were up on top on a shelf behind glass. And we would all go in there. And you just look at it, Jerry, and the pacemakers. They, they, they
0: wouldn't let you would, play them. You, would, you know, right. In Winnipeg, every Saturday, I went down and would stare in the window at a blonde Gibson, which I called the Chuck Berry, an orange Gretsch, which I called the Dwayne Eddie Gretsch or <laughs> Eddie Cochran Gretsch, and a Fender, the Buddy Holly Fender. And standing beside me would be Neil Young. We would look at the guitar this way, and it was like a <laughs> curved window. We'd go look at it sideways and go in and say, Can we play that? No, you can't. You got 40 bucks, you got 50 bucks. You want to put it down and buy it? And we couldn't afford that.
1: It's, it's amazing. And then you,
0: then you go and babysit, and you mow lawns, and you have a newspaper wrote and get that money, and you save a couple hundred bucks, and you put it down on that guitar. And then that guitar never leaves your sight. You take it with you everywhere. You've, like, sweated and to buy this guitar.
1: But why do you think Paul still walks out on stage with that guitar? That guitar built the Beatles, built yeah. this. Yeah, he can have any guitar, as many as he wants. That's the guitar what was your first guitar what was Neil Young's first guitar because these guys were friends and they grew up as Randy always said it was the battle was who gets to play the high school dance was it the Squires or was it almost Randy?
0: like everybody's first guitar we couldn't afford the music stores we went to the Sears catalog
1: <laughs> where in
0: Canada the brand was called Silvertone but it was Dan Electro here right and it was a single cut black silvertone down which Jimmy Page still has and plays he plays that in a different tuning on Zeppelin he still has that and plays that now. Wow. And so I had one of those and Neil had one of those. But your your dream is like an orange Gretsch. So I got I saved my money. I got an orange Gretsch that played on Shake All Over and taken care of business. Neil got an orange Gretsch. He still has it. Mine got stolen. That's why I started my Gretsch collection, it was a crazed collection to find
1: that a crazed guitar. search to
0: find that guitar. And I didn't. I bought every other color. Couldn't buy the orange one. And so my basically my first really professional guitar was a Gretsch. I've since gone back and got that old black silver tone. I play it all the time. I love it. Really? For a guitar to sell for 49 bucks <laughs> to last for 50 years yeah. and not have to replace the pickups, the tuners, the neck. There's no truss rod in the neck, but it was stand-up little pieces of aluminum in there, two of them. The fretboard was almost a quarter of an inch rosewood, which doesn't warp. It's like, it's the great guitar.
1: It's, you know, so the question is, it's not about the expensive guitar. It's learning to play, and it's doing the hard work. It's something we've all talked about. John Lodge was up here from the Moody Blues right. going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Thank yeah. God. And like John said, he loved the bottom. Listen to Chuck Perry. He loved the – He just and he found out that it, that's called a bass guitar, that it's like a stand-up bass, but it's a bigger guitar. And he went to the music store in Birmingham, and they didn't have one. There was no bass guitar in Birmingham, England in the mid-'60s. Okay, well, you find a catalog, order one. I got this giant thing, and you know, I asked my dad – all the money like dad this is it I need he goes like every kid has ever done in life yeah and my dad said don't waste it you got it dad you know and just he said you know we talked about it. it's a very beautiful moment that everybody gets to share that dream for me it was getting a four track tape recorder so I could edit my demo tapes and make a, a, a demo of my, me doing a radio oh, show cool. so I could send it out yeah. and be a country DJ on the weekends for a dollar 85 an hour <laughs> My friends are delivering pizza for three dollars now. Are thinking I'm an idiot, but yeah. I'm 19 and I'm in. I'm working. Yeah, you don't like you playing the high school dances. You're yeah. working. Um, you know, Neil and the Squires. You know, you said you try. Who gets a bar mitzvah? Who gets the a right. wedding, a dance, or something? Yeah. You just wanted to work. Here we go. You fast forward to last year. Randy is inducting Neil into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yeah. And you guys are standing at the pinnacle of the world. I. I did you talk about it? Was there a little bit of history in that moment? going Well, I had this. a
0: chance to talk about him growing up and tell stories about him that nobody knew. They, just like my radio show, I talk about meeting Jimmy Page in 1967 in the, in the, with the new Yardbirds playing at the Cleveland Art Institute. and We shared a dressing room and I had a Rickenbacker and he wanted to play it. And I said, only if I can play your tally. So I played his Led Zeppelin Telecaster, right? And stories like that, and then how later on I played the Seattle Pop Festival with Zeppelin, it was their first tour in 69, and how then at the um, Classic Rock Fest in London, the High Voltage Festival of several years ago, he's there playing with the Black Crows, and I'm there sharing a dressing room, but they won't let me near him. <laughs> and we're in a trailer, and in the trailer is like a rod with a curtain, a plastic curtain keeping us apart. So I go in my side, and I go, you know, I'm Randy Bachman, and I remember playing the Cleveland Art Institute with Jimmy Page, and I've got a poster from the Seattle Pop Festival, Led Zeppelin's first tour. Whoosh! The shower curtain gets zipped open. It's Jimmy Page. Hi, mate. Good to see you. And I'll send you this poster. So I sent him the poster of that. And same with Robert Plant. I did a thing for him at BBC at the Roundhouse. And I said, I've got the Seattle Pop Festival poster. So I sent it to each of those guys. Like I said, they were thrilled to see the show, they played with Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry and Ike and Tina Turner and everybody was on it. The Birds and the 10 years after was a mixture of San Franciscan kind of things. Right. A couple of bands from New York and a lot of British bands.
1: It's amazing what came out of the sound. It's actually, if you don't mind, and we love Neil Young. We play Neil Young all the time. But do you mind telling this story about the first time... You heard Mr. Young's new band oh. and the record and, and the voices singing? Okay,
0: we leave Winnipeg <laughs> in, in 65, <laughs> we go and do the Shake on All Over tour. Right. Right, with the Kingsmen and, and then Dion and the Belmonts and all that in the buses. And the last guy to say goodbye to me is Neil Young, and then when we're coming back, it's on the radio, the first guy to meet me is Neil Young. What's it like? What's it like out there? I said, you got to get out of Winnipeg. Like, the world is out there waiting for us, right? So he leaves. He goes to Thunder Bay, which is a starting point, meets Stephen Stills. They split up, they see each other again in LA, they start Buffalo Springfield. Neil comes back to Winnipeg, radio station like this, and he says to me, I got a white acetate to play you. So, yeah, and what's the band called? Buffalo Springfield. That's weird. It sounds like a tractor. It is a tractor. You know? (laughs) a gun gun and a tractor. Yeah, Yeah. Springfield Construction Company or something, a Springfield rifle and Buffalo tractors or something. And I said, okay, what's the album? He said, we've got three lead singers, three lead guitar players. So he plays me this thing, and it's Stephen Stills. Do I have to come right out and say it? Tell you that you look so fine. Then he plays me the next song, and it's this beautiful high voice, and it's Richie Furet. And then he plays me the song. Out of my mind, <laughs> and I just can't take it anymore. Not happy to find And I go, what is that? And he goes, it's me. And I go, what? You're singing? And he says, yeah, man. And there's this guy called Bob Dylan. Have you heard of him? And it doesn't matter if you can hit the notes, but if you write really good lyrics and enunciate them, people listen to what you're saying rather than what you're singing. And that's been my template for singing for years. Len- it's the Leonard Cohen School, you know what I mean? It's the Bob Dylan School. You, you write really great lyrics and you know you don't have a great voice, but you, you are the vehicle of your songs. So that voice becomes the, the, the vehicle and people love your voice. Yeah. They love Willie Nelson's voice. There's not, nobody like him. There's nobody that, like Neil Young. There's nobody like Dylan. There's nobody like Leonard Cohen. You're absolutely These guys right. would never win if they went on The Voice. None of our artists would ever win. Exactly. You
1: wouldn't have won. Not, Johnny Cash wouldn't
0: win on The Voice. No. You know what I mean? You've got to have this instant thing that you turn on and you become Bruno Mars or Katy Perry in an instant. And you're some kid from Podunk, Iowa or, you know, armpits Canada <laughs> or something, you know, and you've got this is your moment to shine. So I I admire those people on The Voice. They can really sing. They've got the voices.
1: But my whole thing was, what are they singing? You know, the famous story that— Well, they're singing hits. Right, but—so the Beatles have the biggest hits in the world. They have one through five. Dylan meets them here in New York and says, now you got the world's attention. Now you got to say something. Mm. Boom! You want to talk about a, a musical nuclear bomb going off. And, you know, of course, Lennon's being the one. He's right, you know. You say you want to revolution. Boom, now we're in. Yes. Now we're quoting the Tibetan Book of the right. Dead. Now there's no ch- we Nobody even knows what we're doing anymore. Like Jeff Emmerich was up here a while back, and he, Randy knows Jeff and Charles Morton. And he said, I'm this kid, you know, I'm 19. I've got fresh tape. I've got a fresh grease pencil, good razor blades. i got a marker for the boxes. We're going to start recording a Beatles album. And John Lennon walks in first and goes, Jeff, we're going to make an album that's never been made before with sounds that have never been recorded before. And I'm too young and stupid to realize what he's saying, and I just go, okay. I'm too young to even know what the man's telling me. Hey, put a mic down here. Hey, let's hide it. Hey, screw around with the tape. Hey, play this backwards. It didn't matter to me. If If any of the adults had seen us doing it, they would have fired me. Yeah. You know, and look what you get. It changes the world. Here we are 50 years later. It changes the world. You built songs because, to me, you work so hard. And I know sometimes it comes off like grandpa. And we're talking about Bruno Mars is a great entertainer. He's brilliant. He dances. He sings. Phenomenal. It's a great show. But like with all the, the, you know, splashback on the Grammys, to me, it's not racism or ageism. It's popism. The Wall, Exile on Main Street never got a Grammy. Three Dog Night would get the Grammy. Ann Murray gets a Grammy.
0: I haven't been able to get a ticket to the Grammys (laughs) in 30 years to get in and sit in the audience i adore everybody else. It'll never happen.
1: No. Meanwhile, I'm at BMI with this gentleman, honored to be helping him to host him getting, what was it? It was like 11 platinum million selling records yeah, some sort of in the history of like songwriting, but he's not welcome to the Grammy. So, I mean, think about that. And it's not even putting anything down, but think about the dichotomy between great songwriting and music that lasts. And here we are, Q1043. Which, bless it, its head, a whole new generation of people have found this music. You've seen I'm sure you've seen it at the shows. Yeah. Younger crowds than you've had in years and years.
0: I see the dad, the son, and the son. Right. Like a teenager, a guy in his 30s, and a guy in his 60s all grooving out to the songs. And I'm sure it's the same at Beatles and Springsteen, everybody. Billy Joel, the same thing. Last, it's the songs that last. It's
1: the songs. It's the songs. Last time Paul was playing, this little 15-year-old girl comes running up to me. You can dash out. Breakfast with the Beatles. Said, oh, oh, my God. I can't believe it. You turned me on to this. I listened to this. And I said to her, email me tomorrow and tell me what you thought. And she starts to cry and says, he hasn't even come on stage yet. And this is the greatest night of my life. Wow. And I thought, yeah, I got it. <laughs> Isn't that stuff? Yeah. You know, not about name dropping. We've known people. We've done this a long time. But I said to Paul, seriously, are you ever tired about talking about the Beatles? Should I not mention it? And he said, no, I love talking about the Beatles. I created the Beatles. We love the Beatles. He says, there's only one stupid question. The Chris Farley sketch and everything. There's only one stupid question. And it's usually asked in London. And that is, you don't need the money. Why do you still do it? (laughs) And that is the stupidest question you could ever ask somebody who is brilliant at it loves doing it the audience loves coming to see him billy joel is playing tonight he sold over a million tickets playing once a month at madison square garden for four years why do you think he does it he does not need the money no he loves it we love it randy loves playing
0: why am i here
1: yeah who's paying me nobody
0: (laughs) nobody i love being here i'm happy to be here with you plugging a new album like i'm 16 years old and i've cut my first album
1: right right And it's the magic of it, and the one thing we've talked about with Randy a lot is he's the most caring, considerate person who cares about the audience and the show. And I hope I'm not embarrassing you, but as he always said, I know you've spent money on dinner, on parking, maybe a babysitter. You had to buy the tickets. It's a lot of effort to get there. I know you spent a few hundred bucks to come see me. I'm going to give you the best show I've got. I'm going to play Taking Care of Business. I'm going to play American Woman. You're going to hear your favorite songs because I know what you went through to get there. And if everybody had that mindset of think, just being, you don't have to be obsequious and all oh, right, mate, you know, oh, you're having a good time. But you bring in your heart, bring in the best. That's what Paul does every night. That's what the Who does. That's what every great band we love does every night on every level of success. The Scorpions, loud, crazy, German rock. Every show they play, it's like the last show they'll ever do. And I always respect that because they give what they everything they have that right. night. Leonard Skinner, Ricky Milik said, you know, I, I want that guy who's seen us for 40 years, I want him to leave and go, damn, you know, they, they play playing Freebird better now than they did yeah. when I was in college. He goes, that's what I want to take away. Not, oh, Christ, here it comes again. And that's Randy Bachman. You will see him Saturday I, night. I just
0: learned to like Free Bird
1: because
0: we toured with Leonard Skinner. They'd get on stage and this thing would go on for like eleven <laughs> minutes. I go enough already, enough. Of it. And then you hear it on the radio, and you go, you know, this really good guitar playing. I mean, it takes a lot of balls to play eighteen solos back to back. Most of you are playing a twelve-bar solo, and this guy's playing a two hundred and fifty-bar solo right at the end of that. And you got to admire that. And the crowds, of course, love it.
1: The new album by George... By Bachman. By Bachman. It's out this spring. I think it's out in the UK first, and we get it. No, it's, uh, out,
0: it's out in Canada on the 2nd, and here it's about a week later.
1: Okay, so uh, March or May? March, yeah. March. So March, like...
0: M- March the 2nd in Canada. You can get your download from Canada Okay. on, what's it called, Spotify or right. Amazon. You can go to the website right now, get a free download of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, or um, if you buy the album. And... Uh, here comes the sun.
1: Hey, take us out. Give us a little, a little music. Here Either Beatles the or, but whatever you like. Yeah, why not? Randy Bachman live.
0: Little darling, it's been a long, cold, lonely winter. Little darling, it seems like years since it's been here. Da 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 da. Da 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 da.
1: Randy. Thank you so much. Love You're having welcome. you up here. We'll see you at... BB- you know, Brian
0: May left this out a tune. i got to have a talk with him about
1: it. <laughs> sure, you can solve quark theories in outer yeah, space, but... Dr. Dude, May. Dr. May, but could you leave us a tune guitar <laughs> on the wall? See you Saturday night at B.B. King's Sunday morning, Q1043, Breakfast with the Beatles, live from the cutting room, a sleepy and brilliant Randy Bachman is going to join us.
0: I'll look as bad as I do now. I've been up since six.
1: I'll take it. Randy Bachman, thanks so much for joining us on the Beatles podcast. Check out By George, By Bachman. Look for it online, Amazon. It's available on CDs. Reimagining George's work. Randy, good man. Come back and see you soon.